Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor at large, and we've had a chance to remember what sleep is like after Can has wrapped and we've gotten back into our zone over the long holiday weekend processing everything we've been through. How are you feeling, Anne? I'm fine. I mean, you you kept going. We both did. I mean, er, we, we all filed stories all weekend long. Yeah, you traverse the, the You Atlantic end up having to get out before it's too late, you know? Yeah, it is kind of funny to tune into the awards and the live stream, and you're like, hey, I was just there. I just saw those people. They keep cutting to the, uh, the audience. I'm like, oh, there's that producer I had coffee with last week, and I'm you know, sitting in a room in upstate with one eye closed or whatever. But uh, it was it's nice. It's a long to haul. It's a long yeah. haul. I mean, I've stayed through to the awards, and it's really fun to be part of that uh, and enjoy that. But it, we, we're there for too long. It, we got to get out of there at some point. As much fun as it is to be in the south of France, and I have no complaints. And it was a good year. It was a really, really good year. So let's go over the awards um, and and basically, we all saw Parasite coming as the likely uh, Palm Door winner, the first Towards Korean the film the ever. We did. I it would had say, the best reviews on the Screen International chart. Yeah, I, I remember. I actually had a conversation with somebody ahead of the festival. I won't say who who had seen the movie and was like, "It's great," but then seemed to suggest that it wasn't going to be a Palm winner because it was such a it was a genre film, and he makes genre films, and they don't usually get that kind of recognition but, but it had it had a little more depth than that oh yeah and they all do but i think on some level he has been ghettoized to some degree for a big part of his career as as a quote-unquote genre filmmaker whereas something like the pedro Almodovar film which ended up just winning best actor was you know this revered auteur who had never won the palm and there was a sense of this was his moment then we didn't see him on the red carpet for the awards and it was very clear it was not his moment but it so, was Antonio Banderas's yeah, so moment, and, and he really is the best thing about the film, partly because he's so surprising, so subtle, so intimate. He's just so good. Um, and you, whatever you think of the movie, you can't deny how great he is. I think the movie's really good. I don't know if it's fair to say it's, it's Antonio Banderas and then the movie on another level per se, because he needs that movie to really allow him to have that material. It's the most personal thing all Motivar has done. And but think- you have the advantage of someone who knew him for his entire career and who understood They're how, on the same how, to, how to work with yeah. him. And and they were on the same wavelength is the point. I did an interview uh, with, with Pedro and with Antonio where it was clear that that he had the filmmaker had his doubts about whether Antonio could actually pull it off. And then he did. He totally did. And so I think he could get his first Oscar nomination for this. It would be a hell of a time to do it, too, when you think about, it, you know, of all of all the things that could pull it off, an all-motivar film after all these years, you know, not the weirder earlier ones or something like that, but this very particular, you know, Pedro coming to grips with being an older 
artist, you know, losing his mojo, resorting to to enhancements from drugs. Um, Basically, I think it's also a showbiz saga. And in that sense, uh, the Academy members and about it's about aging, of course. So they're going to respond to it. I think think it will be widely seen. Yeah, the question is, is Sony Pictures Classics will take even, it through. Yeah, Sony Classics has been the, the North American home for Almodovar for, for decades now. And he did already, he already has his Oscar. So, but the question is, is this a movie that, you know, on for for on the English language side, is it uh, not, uh, we don't Spanish call it language. Spain, Spain will submit it. It's whether it, ha- whether it goes farther, farther than that. And I'll that. suggest it will be direct. It could be director. It could. Or screenplay. it could be Banderas and screenplay. Yep, yep, yep. It seems like it has that kind, of, that kind of vibe going for it. It's a very accessible movie, but also a very quiet film, you know, and, and perhaps... It's an art film. Know. It is an art film. Yeah. But, but it's the kind of art film that the people in the Academy will respond to. And of course, um, we we must note that Tarantino's film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the other showbiz saga that, would, that played there in the competition, that didn't win anything, which didn't surprise me, but it will do he well. Was there, though. The it was kind of hilarious to me. Everybody was like, oh, Quentin's there. And they kept going through the different awards. And it's kind of funny because people who are, the handful of us who, who obsess over this stuff, we see who's there. And then we see what starts winning awards and whoever hasn't come to the stage yet, we start to wonder, okay, could that person have won? Could that, like, did Celine Scala win? Oh, no, she won that screenplay. Okay, so who is it? Oh, no, now it's Tarantino and it's Bong Joon-ho, both in the audience. <laughs> Are they going to share the Palme d'Or? That would have been crazy, right? And then, no, Tarantino was just hanging out because he likes to be at Cannes. So, he does. Okay, fine. I mean, maybe there was, a, there was an outside shot that that movie could win Something no, they wouldn't have. They would have told. He knew he wasn't winning anything if he no, was but there. No, but what I'm saying is that there were there were a couple of awards where you could see that movie win. It wasn't really. It didn't seem like a Palme d'Or. No, it didn't. It didn't. It, it, it didn't need the help, with, no. especially with that jury. That jury isn't going to go ahead and give that. If there was some cockamamie theory that it was going to go to the acting award would go to to um, Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt as a shared award, and I thought that's silly. You know, that's not going to happen. Would have made some great headlines. I mean, they didn't uh, need them. They had all the press attention that they could have hoped for. I mean, that movie delivered the red carpet to Cannes. It made all the difference in the world, along with uh, with Rocket Man. I will say every year as the world becomes a bigger, more complex place and can seems smaller because movies have to fight to be, you know, sort of seen as, as having a, a piece of the larger conversation. It's, it's always ironic to me how something happens that generates some news and that's what people notice. Like when that's all it you know, takes. Yeah. It's like the Madonna's out there with a Gautier pointy or, bra on the carpet. That's all anyone's going to remember or, for or, decades. Uh, from that you know, everybody gets mad about the heels on the red carpet and, and or then, the me too like, moment last yeah, year. Like that happens. With all the women. And I, and I, unfortunately I do have to say that Quentin Tarantino's dismissive remarks towards a journalist or a perceived dismissive remarks, however you want to characterize it ended up being news that people noticed perhaps even more so than the movie, just based on anecdotally what I've heard from some people. Well, if you just look at Twitter, that's what it is, but that's not, you know, I think, I think, I think Brad and Leo are front and center and will continue to be so. Yeah. Hopefully it's a boy movie. Okay. Let's be honest about that. And Margot Robbie has a supporting actress role, virtually silent. That was the, uh, that was the point. And, 
guess what? He says, you know, that's not about her. It, well, I mean, the thing is, it's about her in, in almost like a spiritual sense. And she has this kind of symbolic quality in the way that that's she's his response. That's what he told me. Yeah. But, but I, I didn't talk to him about it. So I, I it's in my story. That. Yeah. He said I, that in my story. I, but, I, but I, this is, this is also just the way that I think it's telegraphed very blatantly in the movie. And that's, that's fine to some degree, although I think it'll be an ongoing conversation of, you know, so you, instead of focusing on this particular very real life person, you've made her less of a person and created some fictional people instead. And and that's going to be something people will wrestle with. It's not necessarily a problem in literally when you watch the movie so much as it is more of a cultural conversation that people may have around once upon a time in Hollywood. Well, a part of what's going on is that the uh, sensitivity about inclusion um, is is heightened, and when it's so obvious, when it's so blatantly obvious that the you know token woman in the movie has almost no dialogue, um, that becomes an issue. And, and, it, and all an male filmmakers, shall we say, should be on notice to well, be I mean, aware of that yeah, sensitivity it, and not be rude to the New York Times <laughs> at well, the was, press conference. I hate to say, it, but that I mean, became that a headline fun. in the New York Times. The thing is. Those press conferences, the very formal way in which Cannes does them, have become a, a firing squad because you go out there in front of the press and they're there from all over the world and you have, you know, half an hour if you're lucky and everything's going to be re- reduced to little snippets of, of, you know, one-liners or whatever and things that can be taken out of context or flashes of anger or whatever. It's just not the best way for somebody to engage with media about serious issues or about anything that that is meaningful when it comes to their work so inevitably somebody's going to ask him about the Sharon Tate thing he his error he should was have had an answer he needed to answer that and he, he answered it later well. he could have answered it the same way he just he, yeah. he got snippy about it and he paid the price but again I don't think that's going to end up being the the net uh takeaway so the net takeaway is looking at those two gorgeous movie stars on the red carpet, you know? And, and also, I think that this movie is going to, to be worthwhile to revisit. I mean, like... I all can't wait to see it again. I, I think that, you know, I, I there were parts of it that underwhelmed me. I thought it had structural issues. I thought that there were some questionable narrative decisions. But in spite of all that, many, many sequences that are incredibly absorbing... Both of those guys are giving their maybe their best performance. Very good ever. performances, and it just has this rich uh, theme of of you know moving on and and the entertainment world evolving and film versus TV. There's just so much fertile terrain to engage. What I liked about it was the idea that that he figured out a way. I mean, he started with the relationship with the two men, the the, the movie star and the sidekick driver stuntman as best friends. It's a real bromance. But you also have this this shifting of the guard that took place then and 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 they are left behind. And in a weird way, I think Quentin feels the same way about movies now being left yeah. behind. Which and is, it, and, it has a nice really parallel resonance to it. I think movies have become smaller in the cultural conversation in some ways that that it can be an exciting thing creatively, but it's frustrating culturally because they don't command the, the conversation in the same sort of way. And uh, there, there's something about the dilemma that Leonardo DiCaprio's character faces with, unfortunately, a bit of a crudely drawn 
agent played by Al Pacino in like one scene that he that he's in. I think a lot of people like Al Pacino, if I'm not mistaken, because he references a number of different cases of of scenes that that got on you know left on the cutting room floor. It's there's going to be plenty of material in the uh, in the special DVD. Yes, that's true. The, and and who knows as 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 your story implies, who knows what kind of a movie we're going to see when this thing Yeah, he might put some of it back. <laughs> and I've heard about some really interesting stuff that could be put in there, including some scenes related to the Sharon Tate character, so we shall see. We but shall see, yeah. So, so we're, we Let's start go back to the awards. Yeah, yeah exactly. So. That won nothing. But but uh, Parasite, so that actually just got dated by Neon. They're putting that straight into the fall. October and, 11th, uh, yeah. And then Bandera, Banderas is coming out on the previous week on October the 4th. So that so it'll be uh, early in the fall. So they will resurface on the fall. Circuit. And we'll see them. Yeah, we'll see them at the festivals. For a Korean sure. film. This came up last year with Burning. A Korean film has never been nominated for the Oscar. Um, this would be an appropriate one to to get that. Shoplifters won the Palm d'Or last year, and and that got got an Oscar nomination. It's a kind of movie that I think will probably pay, play quite well. With the Academy, it's not like Okja or something. It doesn't have a supernatural element to it. It's just really, it's actually kind of like shoplifters. It's about a, a con family. A family, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, lower class family trying to con its way into taking over a wealthy family's residence. And uh, and I think there's a lot of, of fertile ground to, to dig into there, both in terms of what it's saying about society, but also just what, a polished filmmaker Bong Joon-ho has become over the last 20 years because every shot is really well composed. The The beats are, it's funny, but it's also very emotional. It's got a father-son dynamic into it. So, I, I mean, if I were in Neon's position, I'd be looking at it the same way you were talking about Pain and Glory with Sony Classics, which is, you know, okay, so maybe it's not, there's not like a name actor you could campaign for, but the screenplay is really incredible. And, and so is Bong Joon-ho's directing well they did very well i have to say I, I i reached out to tom quinn he's sort of over the moon because they also picked up portrait of a lady on fire which is one of two uh french movies that won prizes um uh celine shiama's stunning 18th century uh lesbian love story inspired by jane campion's the piano i had hoped that they could follow uh, the piano with a, with a palm door win. I didn't know that that would happen, but it, it didn't. But it, it, it was worth it must have been hoping close. for. You have to assume that some they of took the- screenplay. Yeah, and well, the mean, it, it palm. Is, yeah, it is a movie that could have won the palm, and it wouldn't have felt at all like it just won because of that. And and Celine is a filmmaker who you know. All but one of her movies have played at Cannes. She's been the head of directors Fortnite. She's, oh, she's a very, very well respected French yeah. filmmaker. So she's like at that moment where she is sort of transitioning, I think, from being a well-respected French filmmaker to being a, maybe a globally recognized auteur. And this film, even though it's in some ways her most mannered work, is is sort of the ideal access point. So um, I think it, it'll do very well. But what is France going? That's the most logical thing for them to submit. But so is Les Miserables, which also be uh, a won a prize, um, shared a prize uh, with uh, with with the other uh, with your Brazilian movie, uh, which I loved, Baccarat. Um, 
that's going to be not submitted by Brazil, right? Because they wouldn't submit Aquarius. You looked into this. So Bacurau so is um, co-directed by Kleber Mendoza Fiojo and Juliano Dornelles, but um, his their previous Say film, that fast five times. Juliano Dornelles. Well, if you have a little bit of Latin American heritage, it's no biggie. But um, it's not like a pitch upon where it's a thoughtful or anything. Um, you can't resist. Clever <laughs> okay, so he made Aquarius before, and that was that was very well received at Cannes, and then they I, they would resubmit it. It was yeah, but they, they crosshairs of the politics. There was some yeah they they when that movie when Aquarius came to Cannes, there was a a, a kind of a, a governmental coup with the first woman woman president of Brazil was was booted out. And replaced eventually through an election with this very far far right leaning guy. Um, so when 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 that was all happening, when Aquarius came to Cannes, they did a big protest on the red carpet with big signs and stuff. And a journalist who had who had, sort of a right wing journalist who had criticized this action was on the actual committee choosing Brazil's Oscar submission. Right. So it was very controversial. So so that was not some. So there was there was already this kind of bad blood, and then this new right wing president comes into office in January, and he gets rid of the entire Ministry of Culture. So they decide they're going to go after this guy some more, and and claim that you know he didn't get the he overspent or something on the budget for his debut from like ten years ago that the government supported, and now is like claiming he has to spend up and pay back all this money to them or whatever. In any case, in spite of all that, this movie is getting a pretty wide release in Brazil in late August. So it's gonna be out there. It's um it's a very subversive Western that is critical of Brazilian society as well as America. And um, it's quite entertaining. Yeah, it won't be an Oscar submission. It's good looking. However I, I am curious to see what happens to it because, uh, you know, it's... Um, so you need... A, it still needs a distributor. It, it doesn't have a, a North American distributor. And it's and I talked to a lot of buyers, like smaller buyers and stuff, who thought it was a really cool movie, but they just thought it was maybe a little too weird and unclassifiable to, to, to spend the kind of money they were... I expecting. can understand that. So we'll see what happens. It could be something that Netflix ends up taking. Or Kino Lorber or somebody like that. If it maybe ends up being Kino Lorber. You know, this comes back, what this comes back to for me is this entire system with the Academy relying on the countries each to submit one film. uh, International film. Nobody has ever come up with another way of doing it. I've always thought that it should be, if it has won something at a festival, it should be eligible. And then you could have any yeah, number they, they of films. short films, right? You have the Oscar. That's how they do it. Exactly. But, but the thing is, it's like essentially what the what is happening. I do like the best international film award as opposed to foreign language film award. There, there are people at the Academy who are cognizant of the challenges involved here. They also want to see Academy members voting for international films in other categories, cinematography or acting or whatever. They need to really think about how much they're allowing the system uh, to be beholden to governments that aren't necessarily invested. What I'm saying is they need to take action for a really long time and and they debate it every single year and they've never been able to come up with an alternative system. They're working on it. Well, here's the system I would say curation is key. You need to just figure out a way to, if, if they, 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 they do end up adding films to the shortlist at the, at the end of the process. Right. 
they put still been submitted by the countries. Yeah, but they have to be. So I guess the question is why? Why do they need to be submitted for for the from the countries? Why not just have your own international committee come up with a short list? It's a very they have, enough, they have enough trouble with that li- that committee as it is. It's already uh, you know twisted into a pretzel. Yeah, um, I mean, if every uh, single country it's had more a member, complicated than yours. I agree with I you. We shouldn't let Brazil be in charge, or even France, for that matter. Or Iran. I mean, you, can't or trust, you can't trust half of them. I mean, Japan, it's, I mean, they did shoplifters, but half the time they submit the wrong thing. China is always submitting the wrong thing. Russia has its own politics that are completely arcane exactly. and controlled by Putin. You know, he's yeah, in charge of who gets submitted. It's even Israel has it's usually been a Konchalovsky brother. <laughs> exactly. And then oh, Israel, I like the way Israel does it. Israel does it so that you because of the Ophir. The, you, you win that and you get in. That's yeah, that's I know, but a reasonable even there, way to do it. But sometimes we've had situations there where the government has has you know come down hard on on films, that, and that has affected their ability to you know at least get the exposure that they need that could help them get to that point. I mean, I've I've talked to people who've had issues with the government in Israel and that you know have reverberations. But but what I'm saying is, I, I just feel like they need to be at least cognizant of, of more cognizant about how to address this because the academy is more international than it's ever been before john and bailey I, you know i may have well. my criticisms of him but he uh in this arena in the foreign language or international arena has been working really hard to open it up to make it more democratic to get more people to vote that's him he's been pushing for all of those changes um, and uh, next time I get a crack at him, I'll see if I can find out if there's any mo- movement on this front. So, um, so what? So what else do we have? From he's going to be replaced in July. So yeah, right. He's but, sort yeah. of doing his victory lap. He was at Cannes, got an award, went to India. You know, just making the rounds. Now they're going to go to Annecy. They're going to be at the uh, animation festival. Whatever. If the Academy wants to spend its money traveling, uh, go with God, you know. I mean, look, it's a big world of cinema out there, so you may as well. I think they were feeling left out. Anyway, so the Grand Prix was won by Atlantics, which Netflix picked up, which is the ghost story from uh, first-time filmmaker Maddie Mm -hmm. Diop, the first black uh, woman director in the competition. So it's obviously the first time anyone won a prize either so. yeah exactly and and um i thought that was pretty cool i like that movie I, it's another one i can't wait to see again it's it is a, in some ways it's it could have been a, a a cool platform release with a word of mouth thing but in conversely it's a hard sell and pretty it's hard movie it's also so, an unusual movie in the sense that it's mixing it's it's genres and it's a it's a bit of a ghost story with with yeah. a fantastic element that isn't perfectly explained, which is what I had trouble with. Yeah, but I love talking about it. And the more that I thought about it, the more I thought this is a very rich work that's exploring a side of the migrant crisis that's usually not talked about, which is not how dangerous it is to go into the, the sea in these tiny boats, but what happens to the people left behind. And in this case, it's you know basically a community of women. And um, and what what I like about the Netflix deal, um, you know, Tambe Obinson pointed out that this is part of Netflix's push into Africa and, and developing its subscriber base in various African territories. But also, it's just like this is a movie that can be discovered in different parts of the world. And I like that too, and, yeah. and, and be talked about in a way where it's sort of like 
people will, will through global word of mouth say, you should watch this thing. It's really fascinating, different. And maybe that's a better fate for a movie like this, especially a first feature. Than, well, next, yeah. Netflix, I mean, you usually expect Sony Pictures Classics or, or um, the long, the late lamented The Orchard or whatever to go after these foreign language films. And Netflix went after Les Miserables, which is the, the Lodge Lee movie, which I thought was the great discovery of a director talent at the festival. Um, but Amazon got it and they got it because they offered a theatrical release. So that still makes a difference in those negotiations. Um, and uh, so people will be able to see uh, Les Miserables in theaters, which is a riveting action film, really that, dramatically well, well executed. I, I'm sure they'll cut a good trailer. Trailer, around, yeah. The action is really relegated to the end. I mean, a lot of it is, it's sort of like, um, well, ratcheting up the tension. I, I disagree with you, Eric. They're 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 in action sequences throughout the movie. They're they're in very violent confrontational uh, drama sequences that could explode at yeah. any moment. And you're, that, you're expecting it, but it that's doesn't what play. it's it's you know it's a little bit like Training Day in the sense that you have the rookie cop uh, at least in the city. He's he's trained joining this this team, and they're testing him, and they're putting him in all these very dangerous situations and you're just waiting for the powder keg to, to burst and eventually it does i will say it's a it's a little heavy-handed the, the message the ultimate message of the movie so it's a little heavy-handed but it's a first feature and i think it's very impressive the way it's made and i'll be curious to see well caa was impressed they yeah, signed I mean, it it's like is he going to become, you know... No, he has to learn English first. Yeah. It's like, is this guy going to become, like, the most important filmmaker in France, or is he going to become, like, the director of James Bond 26 or something? I don't think that's the uh, oh. likelihood. Well, you never know. But, but they fall on people who have chops, and this guy definitely has chops. Yeah. No, and it, 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 I think there's there's something that will happen as a result of this, and, and certainly it's good for Amazon. I do think that Amazon and Netflix had an interesting impact on the market at Cannes this year. People said movies were really expensive, and yeah, they Neon, drove up the prices for with, sure. With Hulu, Neon was apparently fighting with Netflix for several days before they closed the deal on Portrait of a Girl on Fire. So again, maybe that's offering a theatrical. Yeah, exactly that. That's the thing. They, whether they overpaid or not. Now, the one that over may have overpaid was Fox Searchlight for uh, the Terrence Malick film, A Hidden Life, which I adored. It was one of the best things I had seen there. It was three hours, World War II narrative, using um, a lot of the tropes that we're familiar with, the roaming camera, the voiceover, the philosophical <laughs> ruminations, but in service of a story. And they obviously believe they have an Oscar contender there, and I'm curious to see how they pull that off. So they we're going to like it. Yeah, that it's that, like it functions as a sort of Holocaust movie, in effect, yeah. anti-Hitler movie. Yeah, which uh, no matter what, whatever changes the Academy goes through, the Holocaust that stays the same. Oh. Also, the you know we'll see that the Diego Maradona may enter into the uh, I like that a lot conversation and and the Lighthouse I think uh, yeah. really took off out of directors Fortnite for Willem Dafoe and Rob Pattinson. Little little art has credibility for for Robert Pattinson before he becomes Batman or whatever. Little extra art house boost. Uh, it's a, it's an. I think he's earned it already. He's. I, yeah. I, I'm reminded no, he's been, he's been at Cannes five times. 
Yes. You know, he's, With, you know, he's, Cronenberg and, you know, he has, he doesn't need to uh, burnish his art house uh, credentials at all. He doesn't have anything to prove. Yeah. And especially. He's chosen there, well. Yeah. There, there was, it, it's. A and he's part. maturing into a really good actor. Very Adam good Defoe actor. are amazing in the lighthouse. I they really are. Talk about this movie. I just think it's, uh, it's, it's fun and strange and, and like oddly. Impeccably uh, uh, directed. Yeah. So. We're back from Cannes and the world is still turning and, and, and it's actually, it was, it was weird because I wasn't following a lot of U.S. headlines when I was in Cannes mode and you come back and you're like, oh yeah, Trump's still around, all this BS is still happening. Uh-huh. Something that in the film world that's been developing that uh, is sort of relevant to the bigger picture is this awful Georgia heartbeat bill, which, you know, of, of course is part of this bigger scarier thing that's happening involving the the new um, anti-abortion uh fight which is truly draconian truly horrible terrible terrible it's stuff the one happened. with the six weeks now netflix comes out and finally says that uh they are not interested in doing work in georgia despite the tax break if this bill goes into law and they're going to work with the aclu to fight the bill in court which so is finally disney joins them now the yeah now the so disney Iger has stepped in and said that they're looking at it and now sony is saying that they're looking at it so i think the dominoes are are, are dropping now in a good way it took them a while not to to in you are but we reported on this long before this bill was signed the the, the, the freaking bill gets signed and everyone's... I'm glad that they're doing this and we all have to be allies. This is an absurd sort of violation of women's rights. It doesn't that, matter who gets credit for it. What matters is that it happens. But what I'm saying... has is, to be applied. But what I'm saying is this pressure needed to be applied a long time ago. I'm glad that they're doing this, but but it, it's the bill was signed. They needed to make the, make the, the business put the pressure on the state to, to reconsider this, put a pressure on the governor before he had this bill on his desk. And what's really frustrating about it is that they're, they're, they're doing it now. It's almost like they're all noticing it now and it, and it's going to be much harder to, to reverse this law, but we'll see what happens. I certainly hope that they all, you know, stand strong here because you know, the idea that if it goes into effect in, uh, in early next year, you know, having been signed that Disney and Netflix and more, all these people are going to retreat from one of the most attractive places for filmmaking. No, and a lot of people are going to be put out of work. And Louisiana has followed suit, unfortunately. So uh, there's more than just Georgia to deal with. I think it's Alabama and Louisiana as well. So it's a really interesting open open question. And I think a lot of people are going to be asked about it in the coming weeks. Absolutely. We'll, we'll see how that develops. And then the other thing that's going on is this interesting um, response to a rather muted opening for Booksmart, which um, Annapurna decided to, to after a, a boffo, forgive the expression, um, uh, launch at South by Southwest, they decided to go wide with it. And I, for one, question that decision because what you do know about anybody who's been in a theater, anybody who's seen this movie, uh, knows that it plays really well with an audience. Oh, yeah. um, Mirrored South by Southwest. Yeah. I've learned to, to see through 
that noise if a movie's not particularly great. But that one, I was like, wow. Yeah. So, so they may have been encouraged by the good response to go wide with it. But I believe that they should have gone a little bit more narrow, built up word of mouth, and then expanded in a, in a, you know, more of a trade, the usual uh, platform release. Um, But uh, Tom Brueggemann is uh, our box office guy. He's working on uh, a story which um, will run tomorrow, uh, looking at the second weekend, looking at how it's going to play and what kind of signs he's reading and and how it did play. And maybe all is not lost. Yeah, I mean, so there were two films at South by Southwest this year that have now gone through this problem beach the beach bum with Matthew McConaughey and now Booksmart both of them and then Longshot well Longshot was a studio a bigger studio movie in some ways that but but in terms of the way that they were released beach bum went from being uh oh they went wide with it right Tom Quinn argues that there was no other way to do that and I don't agree with that argument I mean it's just it doesn't that was a movie that was like destined to be kind of like a slow build cult phenomenon kind of thing and they, they, the danger, though, in a, in a case like that, whereas with, with uh, Booksmart, it played really well. It got great reviews. Everything was thumbs up on that. The problem with the other, what if it didn't? Then you're dead. You've yeah. got nothing. And, and even if a it's a big risk. Well, it was something like, like Beach Bum. I think it was the, the critical enthusiasm was, was, it was positive, but not quite not positive. over the moon. It needed to be sort of discovered. And in he's it. a very, he's a very, uh, polarizing if you like divisive uh, yeah, filmmaker which, which in some ways it could have been worked in its favor with time with book smart i think what's what's notable is that it plays so well that it's like just imagine if that movie you know was the biggest movie in new york and la for a week all these right other that's my, that's exactly right now the thing about again book smart is is you know it's going to build buzz. You know it's going to build word of mouth, and and you can bank on it. That's why I don't under. All right, what I was going to say is the uh, I have I trust to a certain degree that Neon knows what it's doing when it makes these decisions. I don't feel the same way about Annapurna. Yeah, good point. They're too is not young. Good. They're too untried, and they're going through all sorts of shifts and financial pressures, and they're partnered with MGM and they have to do this and they have to do that. So, you know, you don't know how much financial uh, uh, decisions went into, um, you know, that kind of uh, release decision. Yeah. And there was an exodus there and there's a real question who's actually in charge. Exactly. So it's like just this idea, obviously Neon had some kind of strategy. I think it had something to do with uh, using social imprint to sell a movie or something like that. But it's something about, the way in which they rushed this movie out there when the enthusiasm was so clearly there. I mean, it just feels like they they missed a, a, an obvious step. Like you and I could have released this movie with better. I'm movie. not going to say that, but I will say, <laughs> I let's will. see what happens on the second weekend. Films. You know, remember, oh, Green yeah. Book opened soft. That's true. And picked up. So they may know, they may be in better shape than we think. They may recover. And, and also the the kind of collective response of people in the industry and stuff it's all over twitter but yeah everybody some people point out sometimes as an echo chamber (laughs) yeah i mean it it could end up being just a movie that is so 
you know, well-regarded that it will remain in the conversation throughout the year, but it's like, or when it goes to other platforms, that's when everyone, that's the trouble with movies like this. That's the trouble where the weakness is in the market. I'm, I'm, I cannot help but notice that most of the movies I am scheduled to look at in screenings um, in the next few weeks are either big Hollywood movies or documentaries. There are very few narrative films with any commercial buzz around them. And this was one of them. This was one of them. But it's hard to get people to go to the theaters for something that isn't big or doesn't have a sort of built-in interest like a documentary. Yeah, that's this is this is definitely one of the biggest challenges facing film culture right now. That's right. That's that's the reality of how things go. I mean, I bought a ticket to go see Aladdin this past week, so I'm part of the problem too, I guess. No, it's your job to see Aladdin. (laughs) I will buy a ticket this weekend to go see Aladdin. I don't Uh, particularly expect to like it very much, but I've got to see it. We'll argue about it. I will not go to see Godzilla. That, I've seen enough Godzillas to last me a lifetime. Uh, so what else are we looking forward to this summer? We already saw The Dead Don't Die at Cannes, so that, and we saw Rocket Man at Cannes, so they're opening. They're worth seeing, but not I, I mean, going of, nuts over, really. You know, the, the thing about anticipating the summer that's always a challenge for us is that there's, there's cool movies we've already seen. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, right? Yeah, or yeah. even like The Farewell or something like that. That's I mean, right, that's coming. I can't wait to see how it does, but we have seen it. In terms of things we haven't seen, it really does come down to mostly bigger stuff. I mean... Last man, last Black Man in San Francisco, I recommend very highly. Another one where it's like... If they that's a plan B play, movie. That's going to... And A24, that, that's a movie that will really have to be carefully put out there because there's no stars and it's all about kind of, you know, the positive word of mouth and reviews and all Absolutely. That. I hope it gets, it got good reviews at Sundance. But you, you know, know what? what? Well, I was going to say that I, I think that the movies that I'm sort of curious about now are, are not, you know, it's like, I don't really care about say men in black international, although I'll gladly be surprised by it. And Spider-Man looks like Spider-Man, right? About, you know, Toy Story 4 could end up being really great. That could be great. That's the one that's going to be a huge, huge hit. It's already tracking really well. And then even Dark Phoenix, you know, I mean, you never know. Yeah, I'm going to see that on Monday. I mean, I want to see Midsummer, the Ari Aster movie. That's a filmmaker I want to see a follow-up from. uh, It's a horror movie that takes place exclusively during the day. (laughs) <laughs> unique challenge. And the one that I saw some footage from at CinemaCon that could be really good is Crawl. It involves being trapped under a house in a flood with alligators. Just saying. Yeah, <laughs> it looked well executed to me. Alexander Aja, he is uh, going back to the genre filmmaker discussion. He is a great genre filmmaker. Nobody could have done Piranha 3D as well as he did. So. You got to give him credit. He, he's he's certainly he's good. And then the Lion King, of course, which yeah, I think is going to be splendid. Was, I have to tell you how hilarious was the response today to the the character posters for that movie, which were literally like stock photos. A bunch of lions. lions. <laughs> All right, more to come. If you have any more uh, hours of sleep to regain, I hope you get them back this weekend. You too. I'm going to try. Talk to you soon. Bye bye, Aaron.
Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.